Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's repeat the non-conformist oath. I promise to be different. I I promise to be unique. I promise not to repeat things other people say. So welcome to Positive Blatherings, uh, author, speaker, and attorney, Catherine Burmeister. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, so this is this is kind of a new thing for me to to blather about positivity with someone that I haven't met and that I don't know at least a little bit. So this is kind of cool. I'm I'm in unknown territory. Uh, I have a, a very very vague overview of your website and who you are, but I know that you're a human being, so I c- couldn't have possibly scratched the surface um, of who you are. But I can tell that you're very accomplished. You are a young woman in the South who is also an attorney and an author. And you look like you've, well, to be, to be frank, it looks like you got your stuff together. <laughs> um, so so I'd, I'd really like to, to kind of, you know, I'm really interested in, in your, your profession in the law. And I'd like to kind of go back to how you got on that path. If, if it came from your parents or if it was something completely unique to you? Yeah. So nobody in my family was in the law at all. Um, I've always been an avid reader. And so in middle school, we read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And even though obviously MLK was not an attorney, the idea of just laws and unjust laws really resonated with me. Um, and then that coupled with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and standing up for you know, something that was right in the truest sense of, of justice, not just what society said was right, um, really had an impact on me. So I thought it would be great to be able to help people through the law um, because right, wrong, or indifferent, people tend to listen to lawyers and it gives you a tremendous amount of ability and power, quite frankly, that I don't take lightly um, in terms of being able to make a difference for people. So that's what started my path and being a a type planner that I knew where the finish line was. And so I just backed up from there. Um, I started doing joint enrollment in high school. So I was already going to college and taking classes. That's when I had my first legal job as well. Um, So I really started bottom as a legal assistant. I've done everything from there to be a lawyer at this point. So that's really what got me, got me here. But I, I'm a big animal person. I've done rescue for years. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would love to do animal law, that's a very niche area. Yeah. And um, on the West Coast, it's, it's prom- more prominent, but still very small. So I was exposed to personal injury law in my third year of law school. And that really uh, filled the void for providing a voice to the voiceless is kind of how I describe you know animal advocacy generally. But also in this sense, with people going up against insurance companies, um, it's very much the epitome of David and Goliath. Yeah. So being able to do that and still fill that void of helping others um, 
yeah, that's really been been powerful for me. So I've been fortunate to stay on the plaintiff side of it, which is representing the individuals uh, since I've been licensed. So it's interesting you you bring up David and Goliath because that is it's some way uh, connected to my next next question. Um, being and if you don't want to answer this, it's fine. But being a a woman in today's world as a lawyer, did you find it difficult to sort of break into the old boys club of lawyers and and that kind of thing, especially personal injury attorneys? It seems like it's an old school boy club, and uh, you had to really kind of <laughs> bust in there. Yeah, uh, and I have no problem answering that. And the truth is, I'm still busting yeah. or trying to at least, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, especially in Georgia, especially in an antiquated profession like that, and especially in a practice area that is, I mean, I'd say 98% men in terms of the attorneys working the cases. Um, Yeah, it it takes a lot of commitment and um, dealing with sexual harassment, quite frankly. You know, it was when I was younger and I didn't know any better and how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, So... You know, it's like one of those things, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have handled it differently. But um, yeah, it's still very antiquated in that regard. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, women don't want to be in this practice area because it takes a lot of time outside of the office uh, preparing for trials. There's not a really nine to five schedule um, in this practice area. So, but I have to say there are a lot of good people in it. It's just finding those good people that you want to align yourself with. And um, I've been fortunate to find a lot of people um, in Atlanta that one in particular that's a man and has been my mentor. So that's been really beneficial to have that. Um, and he can re- not relate, but he understands when I'm talking to him. He acknowledges that there is that issue in the profession and those experiences that exist. So it's nice to have somebody that's not just like, oh, you're just making it up. Mm. Um, but it's still a challenge. I have a big case that I have a bunch of co-counsel on. And um, up until probably three months ago, it was just every time they wouldn't listen to me. I, for a while, had to put my name over a former colleague's signature block that was on the case to try to get responses to emails. Wow. Didn't get responses to emails. Um, Yeah, my opinion was just kind of discarded. So finally, we had a breakthrough on the case, and they realized I was right about what I'd been saying for like two years. So (laughs) I guess that proved myself to them in some capacity. So Finally, finally, they just uh, give me the, the time of day, which, you know, it's a case I got to work it. Um, it's kind of a necessary evil to have, you know, some co-counsel on a big case like that. But yeah, it's just part of it. So how close to uh, how close to TV are, are the, uh, you know, your your escapades in the law in the courtroom? I love love courtroom dramas like a few good men and like all these different court. I love those kind of movies, but I know a few lawyers and attorneys and they're like, you know, it's nothing like what you see in the movies or on TV. But did, did any of that when you were growing up, did any of that maybe spark your interest somehow? I, I loved Law and Order. Like I was a Law and Order fanatic, uh, you know, the regular one, then SVU. Um, but when it came down to it, I didn't want to do criminal work. I just, uh, you to help I people. had a really hard time. Yeah. I mean, I definitely appreciate that there's people there and that are enforcing, you know, not saying that everybody's innocent, but just this is part of what our foundation, our society is on, that you're innocent until proven guilty. So just ensuring that the rules are enforced equally, which Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, that just wasn't where I wanted to go. Um, 
but it can be very dramatic, definitely. Although mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I think as a professional and when you know the background of things, you kind of nerd out, right, for lack of a better phrase, on things that maybe other people wouldn't. Um, but I mean, honestly, how I came to have my own law practice is very dramatic. And I always say it's Jerry Springer meets Maury or meets um, <laughs> John Grisham. So, oh, that's, uh, that's an interesting combination. Yeah, it really is. Like it easily could have been a book on its own. Um, and it's really just the backdrop of how I, how I started out, but that's, that's the backdrop of the book that I wrote. Oh, well, that's a great segue. So tell me about the book. Tell me, um, so well, actually before we get there, um, you, I, we have to add, so I, I introduced you as author, speaker, and attorney, but I think we need to add mind reader to your, to your list of, of bona fides, because I was just about to ask you about mentorship and you said, you mentioned your mentor, like right as it was coming into my mind. So I, I, I would like to, to learn a little bit more about, um, how mentorship really, uh, helped you onto your path. Yeah, I think, um, a huge part of what I've done in getting to where I, I am is just putting myself out there. You know, I didn't, like I said, nobody in the profession, I didn't know anybody in the profession initially. Um, wow. So just reaching out. And if people said no, they said no. But I found most attorneys like to talk. Um, and most <laughs> attorneys <laughs> are willing to help you. I think a lot of them remember what it was like um, you know, being where you were before. And I mean, I wasn't at the top of my class, like I, and I didn't want to go big law. So that wasn't that big of a deal, but I think the idea of passing it down and kind of helping others, uh, resonate at least with the people that I was meeting with. So that was a huge benefit. Um, and then my mentor, Joe Freed, he's a big trucking attorney in Atlanta. He, uh, grew up with one of my aunts, so they knew each other from a young age. And then once I decided I want to go to law school and get into that, she introduced me to him. And he's been a huge uh, support in terms of, you know, giving me some advice, giving me some direction what I could do better. Um, and especially now with my own practice, you know, just how how to do certain things that I haven't encountered before, you know, since I'm on my own now. So it's been a great benefit to have somebody like that, that is just really authentic um, because that is unusual in our practice area and profession, having really authentic people. So that, you know, that brings me to, I've always wanted to know this. So when you, as a, as an attorney with your own practice, so not only do you have to know your area of expertise in the law, but you also have to, you're essentially, you're a small business owner. You're, you're a business person. So did you have any business background when it came to opening your own law practice or did you just sort of have to learn it as you go? Uh, I had a crash course. So that's probably, um, well, let me tell you how I came out to be on my own. Cause okay. that'll lead into this nicely. Um, so I, when I got licensed, I was working for an attorney that made a lot of promises And it wasn't just that he couldn't deliver. It was that I was kind of an afterthought. Um, I was basically told I was a luxury he couldn't afford, which I just didn't even know how to take that. Right. Um, So I ended up leaving there and I was holding out because I didn't want to go insurance defense. That's what a lot of people do. So a lot of people go insurance defense because it's, you know, bigger firms and then make a lateral move later on to representing individual people, the plaintiffs. Um, I had worked in big law as a clerk. I did not want to go back to it. Like come hell or high water, I was not going back to big law. Um, So I really held out and I was able to find my dream job 
in a smaller firm, a uh, partner had been practicing for 30 years, very well respected. There were two other associates that were a couple of years older than me and was very uh, much get your hands dirty. He wasn't, our partner wasn't pulling rank and trying to keep us under his thumb or anything. He, you know, took us with him and said, you're going to learn by doing, which is the way it should be. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's the way it was you know, decades and decades and decades ago, and just hasn't been that for so long. So I learned a ton um, in a short amount of time. And then about a year and a half after I started with that firm, um, I got a call from our senior associate who had just become partner uh, with the, the older partner, the founding partner. And he said, you know, we need to go into the office early. And I was, my mind is like, what did I do? That's just, even though I didn't, I don't I'm mess things up. I'm just very <laughs> critical of myself. Yeah. So that's where my mind went. And we get there, uh, come to find out our partner, our founding partner had committed suicide. Oh my gosh. Um, he had been stealing from clients for eight years. Wow. So he left notes that detailed it. He, uh, you know, he said, basically, if it's between this and prison, this is what I'm going to do. And I mean, we were all obviously blown away, right? I mean, it's just traumatic anyway, but you know, then still having to pick up things and keep moving forward is, is intense. So we did, uh, we did try to make it work and he had lied about a lot of things to the new partner in terms of money overhead. So we had to downsize and we agreed to take myself, this partner that was there now and one paralegal and take the cases. So we did that. And there was a lot of fallout from the old firm, even though it wasn't our firm anymore. Obviously, there was a lot of messy things that had to be dealt with. So in that time, I was running all of those cases. Um, I was running the day-to-day -day logistics of it. I was making sure that you know they kept moving forward to the extent that they could. So during that time, I really started focusing on the business side of it too. I mean, I wasn't you know paying the bills on them, but I was still having to make sure like running you know, the management side of things, running the practice side of things, making sure that, you know, we coordinated uh, who did get paid in terms of experts and things like that. So that was my crash course uh, in running wow. a business. Trial by fire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> trial by fire. <laughs> um, and I found out I really liked it and I felt pretty good about it. And so after uh, about a year, it finally came, I it, this had been happening over that time, but it came to... Uh, past that I really realized this partner did not want to be a part of this. And I couldn't drag somebody along that didn't want to be there. It just, there was no point. Um, so I decided, mind you, I never wanted my own business, never wanted my own law practice. Uh, and sure enough, at that point, after having the rug jerked out from underneath me, I felt like the third time in a row, why not try now? So <laughs> I figured the worst thing that could happen was I go get another job. Um, and that's what I did. So I was in, able to end things amicably. We split the cases, um, and I took those with me. So ever since then, I've had my own practice. Wow. What a way to start though. I I'm so sorry that yeah. you had to go through that, but at the same time, sometimes we have to go through these just life altering, uh, you know, situations that, I mean, it is, it's life altering. It completely changes your path. And a lot of times it's for the better. And it looks like it's, it's been that for you. Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, what I yeah. went through, but yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been for those things that have happened. Um, I hate that 
just the relationships, you know, my perceptions of people and how much I put myself out there and all those thoughts, you know, changed. Um, but again, I do think it was for the better. I really was able to start setting boundaries and that's what finally happened. So where things pivoted was, uh, I was in Portugal, um, and I get a call from my paralegal and this was still with that last firm before I started my own. And my paralegal called me. I said, why are you calling me halfway around the world? And she said, I can't get a hold of our partner. I said, okay. And she needed to make a, you know, a call on getting something done urgently that like we could malpractice for if we didn't take care of it. Mm -hmm. So I said, yes, go ahead, do what you need to do. And then I got back in town and my partner was gone at a retreat. Uh, so I, I just, everything kind of, you know, came together at that point. Um, and I, I had a, I hit my rock bottom that day. I actually called my husband home from work for the first time. And while I've dealt with anxiety and depression and it's been managed, um, I think after everything that I'd gone through, um, and then finally having that just like last straw, uh, I, it just literally, it was like a light switch flipped. I completely changed my perception on what was acceptable, what wasn't, what I was willing to put myself through. And even though I'd known those things, mm. being able to actually draw that line in the sand was a completely different story. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had that dark spot and I just realized I wasn't going to do it anymore. I wasn't going to, you know, try to help drag somebody along that didn't want to be there. I wasn't going to answer to somebody that was potentially just going to, you know, toss me to the side. It just, life's too short um, to keep doing something like that. So again, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but it, uh, it made a huge difference in my life. That's, uh, that's incredible that, you know, you were, you were essentially pushed to the edge and, uh, you chose, <laughs> you chose to fight back and you chose to, to, to really take control of your life and your career and everything. And that's really commendable because I know uh, a lot of people don't, aren't capable of doing that. And, and you, you, you did mention that you, you had suffered from anxiety and depression in the past. And so as, as an attorney working in the law, you know, just on the surface, when I think of lawyers, I think of, you know, you know, cocky, you know, really like these really self, um, self-assured, you know, like I'm going to walk in, I own the room. I'm the best person in this place. I'm the smartest person in the room. Um, so, so you must have that like sort of dichotomy between your, your inner feelings and what people are expecting from you in your profession. Um, that's, that's just really amazing. And now you've written a book. So the, these things that you've, you've gone through, um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in how the, how the book came to be after all of this happening. Yeah. So I had, uh, been introduced to a ghostwriter not long after, um, the original partner had committed suicide and everything was just too raw. You know, it was just too close to us and it just wasn't the right time. So about a year later, I think it was right after, yeah, right after I started my own practice, I had a friend ask me, have you thought any more about writing a book? And my personality type is, I go, who wants to read that? Who wants to read that story? Is that really going to make a difference type deal? Um, and then I got a call from the ghostwriter and she said, I saw that you came out with your own, you know, practice that you're starting on your own. I love to reconnect again. So when I started talking to her, I really realized that it was a perfect time. It was far enough removed from what happened that I could be a little more 
I wouldn't say objective because that's, you know, it was very tumultuous event, but I could look back and talk about it. Sure. Um, but it wasn't so far removed that I didn't remember how I felt. And so that's what I started to do. Um, and I want something to good to come out of it, right? Like I mentioned before, it could have been a John Grisham book. It was just extremely dramatic, but I didn't want that to be the only thing that came out of it. I wanted to help other people not have to go through what I went through. As much as I think adversity uh, can help you grow, I don't think that you know trauma should be required to grow. And so, especially people in very zero sum professions. Um, and when I say zero sum, I mean, winning or losing, right? Yeah. So in my profession, in cases, if you're not winning, you're losing. Yeah. Uh, doctors are the same, you know, if they're not healing people, you know, or helping people live, they're dying. I mean, very literal in that sense, even professional athletes or corporate executives, um, nurses to kind of fall into those groups. It's not that other people don't have, uh, have, tr you know, troubles or challenges, but it tends to manifest itself. I feel like more drastically and more quickly in these professions I just mentioned. So I wanted to help those people in particular recognize that they don't have to go through that. They don't have to go through the trauma or be what I term addicted to the status quo. And I don't use that term addiction flippantly. I genuinely believe it is a socially validated addiction. Um, and in a sense, kind of worse than others. I mean, they're all bad. I'm not sitting here saying one, you know, we're going to compare who has the worst life, right? Right. But in the sense that it doesn't have groups, you know, for support, people don't want to acknowledge, you know, that they are addicted to the status quo. Um, it's been so normalized at this point that I just think people aren't even aware that it's a problem. So that's people a, coming to terms really with that. That's a really interesting concept, addicted to the status quo. Yeah. I've yeah. never even considered that. Wow. Because it really is. I mean, think about it. We're all told either whether yeah. it's media it's social media, TV, whatever, like this is what you're supposed to be to be happy in this life. Right. And it's generally 2.5 kids, a white picket fence and a, you know, heterosexual couple, right? Like that's right. what has been fed to us for so long. And it's just not true. It's not true at all. Um, you don't, I don't believe you get happiness and fulfillment in life from external sources. I believe they can contribute to it. Sure. Um, but I think you have to be happy within yourself before you're going to be able to actually live a fulfilling life um, outside of yourself. So, um, and because people are so addicted to the idea of I need to have, you know, a fancy car, fancy house, or I need to travel, you know, and stay in the fancy hotels. Like, yeah, those things are fun. I'm not saying that they don't bring, you know, enjoyment, but in and of themselves, they don't make you happy. So yeah. that's, that's really where I try to go with it and show people that not only is it not what you have to go through, you don't have to go through trauma to get to the point where you say, I'm going to take control of my life and overcome this addiction, but also some concrete steps to actually start the process. Because I think a lot of people too, right, in, in most areas of life, but especially in these particular professions, they don't, they don't even know they have a problem. So, you know, how do you reach people that don't think they have a problem? And you, so I start with asking if they're happy. And I'm, you know, I say, don't, don't give me the knee-jerk reaction. Of course I'm happy. I have a job and I have kids and all this other stuff. And they're like, really sit with that. Are you happy internally? And I think most people aren't because they don't take the time to sit with those feelings. They just keep going. 
And that's what I did for so long. I just kept going and saying I was happy and I checked off this box. I've checked off that box. I was very much a box checker. And I thought, well, I should be happy if I've checked them all off, right? That's just not the way it is. Yeah. Um, and then and then when you check off all those boxes and then you're honest with yourself and you realize that you're not happy, then you start thinking there's something wrong with you. And you absolutely. start, you know, then, then your self-esteem starts to tank and the rest of your life starts to sort of fall apart. Um, that's a very interesting concept that, uh, I mean, I, I, I've met a lot of people who are, you know, very much against the status quo and they, they, you know, to the beat of their own drum kind of people. And I respect that. Um, but I never really thought of it as an addiction when you say addicted to the status quo. I mean, that's really profound to me because it really is. I mean, I, so I'm, uh, I was two years sober this, uh, end of January 30th. Oh, congratulations. Thank that's you. awesome. Thank you. And, and, and I, I can identify with people that, that battle addiction and, and battle with, um, you know, various mental illnesses like depression and, and things like that. And I, I just, I really, the concept of being addicted to, the status quo. I keep saying it because I'm, I really am authentically enamored with that, with that idea with, I think that's fantastic that you've, that you've highlighted that because I've never even considered it. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's one of those things, like when you think about it, it seems so obvious, but then it's almost like so obvious that you don't think about right, that. Right. Exactly. Sense. And especially in my profession. And that's why obviously I lean towards that in the story because that's what I do. And I've seen it. People will go to every length to keep up appearances and keep up, you know, to others that they're happy, that they're successful, that they have the big successful firm. Right. Um, and they fall into other addictions, right? Alcohol, drugs, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, but overall, what is it? It's this, obsession with what people think of you and what you're supposed to be and the idea that you're not enough, you know, or you should be something else. And those were the shoulds and the enoughs that come up for me. Those were, you know, what always has plagued me uh, thinking I should be this, or I should be that, um, or I'm not doing enough, but that's really what it is at the root of it. Yeah. You care about having a you know successful firm or making people think you have a ton of money, but why? Well, it's because you care about what other people think of right, you. Why yeah. is that? You know, we've been kind of programmed to to believe that that's where we get our validation from. Yeah. Is keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so when was the first time that you um, that someone asked you to impart this knowledge? I know you're a speaker. That you go and you and you you um, are your are your speaking engagements primarily for other attorneys, or is it sort of for everybody? It's for everybody. I mean, I think my book speaks more so to those professions that I was speaking of. It's okay. a little technical in the beginning. Okay. Um, and the backdrop is that I'm a lawyer, but I genuinely believe, of course they say with books, right? You can't write for everybody. And sure. in one sense, I believe that. Um, but the other sense, I think you can be a stay at home mom and still be falling into that trap of being you know, addicted to the status quo. Um, but I think I can, my message can be packaged differently, obviously based on who I'm talking to. So I do talk to different people. I talk to uh, women's professional groups. I've talked to lawyers. 
Um, I've talked to uh, business owners, small business owners. So really just tailoring my message because it's so universal um, what we go through in terms of that obsession with keeping up with everything that we're told we should keep up with, right? Um, so I do speak to a number of different people about that. And it's just, it's nice to be able to get to the root of it, I think, with those certain professions, because it does manifest itself so quickly and so drastically, I think. Absolutely. So where can, uh, where can folks find your book? Yeah, on my website, KatherineFBurmeister.com, or you can go to Amazon and it's on there. It's Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo. Love it. Yeah, so uh, I'll have uh, I'll have links to all that stuff um, in the show notes, the description of the podcast. Uh, what's what's in the future for you? Like, say the next couple of years, what do you have uh, on the horizon? Yeah, I hope to actually pull back a little bit on my law practice. Um, I have a lot of cases right now, which is good, very fortunate. But I really want to pull back a little bit on that so I can push forward on the speaking and engagements. Obviously, we haven't been doing those in person. Um, but you know, also get exposed to bigger, bigger groups, because I feel like that's where you start to entertain the idea of not being happy, which is a huge hurdle for people period. Um, but to just plant that idea and that seed. So hopefully people are more willing to entertain it and take into their control, their ability to recover from that in a sense. So that's why I really want to do is just help more people directly and more, um, efficiently, I guess. What if you could go back to your 15 year old self and give yourself advice from what you know now, what would you say? Oh man, there's so much, there's so <laughs> much I would go back and tell myself, um, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. And yeah. I had that kind of fighting spirit I have for a long time. Yeah. Um, so that I've always gotten back up, um, no matter how bad it's gotten, I've always gotten back up, but just it, realizing that because those things happen, it's not the end of the world. Like I always ask that question. I can't remember what movie it's from or if it's a, from a skit, but like, did you die? But did you die? You know, right, right, did you yeah. survive it? and that's so true. I mean, there's a reason I'm not a pilot or a surgeon. Like <laughs> I don't need to be in those jobs, but at the end of the day, 99% of professions, like you're going to survive. Everybody's going to be fine at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> So that's the biggest thing is everything's going to be fine at the end of the day. Cause it does, it, things are traumatic and things are horrible and I'm not downplaying that, but at the, at the root of it, it it's going to be okay. You'll survive. And the biggest thing that people want to have at the end of the day is their health. And I think their well being. And if you can walk away with that, you're already ahead of the game more than many people, I think. Yes, I agree. 100%. I, when I, I used to work in radio and I remember when I first started out in radio, I like I'd screw up a break or I'd screw up the weather or something and I'd get done and I'd be like, Oh my gosh. And my a guy that I worked with would be like, nobody died. It's fine. <laughs> big deal. So you got the temperature wrong or you screwed up the name of that town. It's no big deal. Nobody died. And, um, I, I do, I do try to think of that often that mantra of, Everything's going to be okay. It's not, you know, because we just, we tend to just make things so much more important than they really are. And I think yeah. a lot of it comes back to the status quo, what we worry about people thinking about us and what their perception of us is. So that's why I, I really love this work that you've done. Um, I know that uh, there's going to be a lot of people that get a lot out of the book and I wish you so much luck in your 
in your future writing endeavors and what, you know, you're scaling back your, your law practice to do more of what you love, what you feel like you've, you know, your passion is now. And that's fantastic. That's all that we could ever hope for is to just go after our passion. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to blather with Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Catherine F. Burmeister.com, correct? Yes. All right. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.